Welcome to the month of July, and let me quickly hasten to say happy July 4th as we celebrate this month of independence, this month of freedom that we have in our nation for me to bring this message to you, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing, and how thankful our hearts must be for those who paved the way for us to have the freedoms that we have today. So bless you as you celebrate the 4th, and obviously always we talk about how much more free we are because of our relationship in Jesus Christ. So as we celebrate this month of freedom in our nation, we also celebrate freedom in knowing Christ as Savior. Thank you, too, for supporting the Ministry of Winning at Home. You receive this because you're part of our home run club, meaning you help us do what we do. We have moved into our new facilities in the Zealand office, and those are getting decorated and really good shape and we are busy with getting new counselors and those who will be involved in providing even more care for the community around us. We typically are able to see about 75% of all the new calls that come in because of just simply not being able to keep up with the needs. So hopefully this new facility will help us be able to do that more effectively. And we appreciate your prayers and support in doing just that. Let me remind you too, our semi-annual banquet, in other words, we only have it every two years, is coming up November the 7th. Can you make sure that you come and you're a part of that? I'm going to talk about speaking the name of Christ clearly, so make sure you get involved, sponsor a table, come be a part of the event, and get updated on all that's going on at Winning at Home. You're going to enjoy the things that you hear, and they're going to be great updates to share with you. Also, as we move into this month of July, I'm thrilled to let you know Steve continues to speak all over the country. Steve Norman, who joined our team a year or so ago, has continued to grow in his teaching, and he also does the Hope Through Hard Stuff podcast, and you can download that on our website at any time. And today, I have the privilege of introducing him to you. He's going to be sharing a message about the fact that God is always giving us guidance. He never plays hide-and-seek with us. He's here and he's available to guide our lives. And so as you listen to Steve, I hope and pray this will be a challenge for you, but also encourage you. Thank you again, and here we go. Here's Steve now. How many of you remember taking road trips when you were younger? Uh, my, when my family would go on road trips, we had a big atlas, you know? Uh, and then, then if you were AAA fans, you get the triptych, you know, you turn it over and it would tell you where you were going. Now we've got Google Maps. And there's always a very clear line saying exactly where we should go and exactly when we will get there. And now technology has told us when we need to slow down because law enforcement is along the way, right? So we have all this data that thousands of years ago the Israelites didn't have. They didn't know where they were going, and they didn't know where they would get there. It's no wonder that they complained for 40 years. I would probably be complaining too. I like to be in control of my days and my minutes and my steps and my route. Do you? But what we learn in this passage is that when God told the Israelites to stay, they stayed. And when he said to go, they went. When he said green light, they stopped. When he, said, when he said red light, they stopped. When he said green light, they packed up and laughed. Now, biblical scholars tell us that there were at least 600,000 fighting men who were part of the Israelite tribe that was moving. So if we add women and children to that equation, there's probably 2 million people in this mobile city. You can imagine what a major logistical challenge it had to be to tear everything down, pack it all up, move to the next location, and unpack it and start all over again. So it's just all sorts of of details that are having to go into this equation. It was a major logistical challenge. And what I love about this passage is that it paints for us a beautiful picture of the God who goes before them. 
as we move through our lives, here's what we know is true about the God of the cloud and the God of the fire. The God of the cloud is a God who leads us clearly. The cloud is visible and obvious to everyone who is watching. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes if I'm at a crossroads moment in life, I can get a little bit nervous about making sure that I'm making the right choice. A mentor of mine by the name of Bob Freiling once said this. He goes, Steve, here's the good thing that we need to know about God. He says, God never plays hide and seek with his will. God never plays hide and seek with his will. I remember being in eighth grade and I was going down the streets of Manhattan and there was a a street game that some of the vendors would play called the shell game. Anybody ever see the shell game? There'll be three different cups and they'll take a ball and they'll put it under one of the cups and they say, follow the ball, follow the ball, follow the ball. And of course, they've been doing this for a lot longer than we've been guessing and there are a lot of tricks up their sleeves and if you put money on it, you will lose because it's a con. And some of us have grown up thinking that God is playing the shell game with every one of us and that if we don't follow the ball closely enough, though, then we just struck out and we lost and we should try again tomorrow. But God's not a con artist. God is a gentle guide and a loving father. He desires to illuminate the next step and every single one of our paths clearly so that when we move, we can know that we're moving with both peace and confidence. And another mentor who once said, when you're not sure what to do, do the next obvious thing. Do the next obvious thing. I was reading yesterday a different version of this passage, Exodus 13, that says, Neither the cloud, uh, the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, it never left its place in front of the people. God is always going before you and always attempting to communicate to you what the next right step is. So the God who goes before us is a God who leads clearly. He's also a God who provides abundantly. When you're traveling through the desert, what is the one resource that's going to be the most hard to come by? It's water. Uh, A friend invited me to go on a solitude retreat in the wilderness of Joshua Tree National Park about 15 years ago. And because there wasn't going to be any water, every single one of us had to hike into that campsite with 48 pounds of water in our backpacks. Uh, We knew we were only going to be there for five days. There's There's no backpack big enough to carry enough water to sustain you for 40 years. When you're in the desert, if God does not provide, you are utterly and totally lost. And some of us, our our biggest dream for our lives, for our families, for our careers, for our finances, was get to the point where we didn't need to depend on anybody other than us to provide for our needs. That success, that victory, that arrival, that achievement was making sure that none of my needs were ever going to be in question. But God does what with the Israelites? He intentionally forces them into a set of circumstances where if he does not provide for them, they are utterly and hopelessly lost. What is he teaching them? He's teaching them dependence. He's teaching them surrender. He's teaching them trust. It was good for God to provide for them. And it's important for us to know that if God was good enough to provide for them in their season of uncertainty, he's going to provide for us in ours. When God leads, he provides the resources for every step that the journey along the way requires. I remember learning this the hard way when I was in college. I attended a small Christian university in central Indiana, and I was in charge of leading our our small group this one particular year, and we would always take prayer requests. And I had come from like a good, rich Pentecostal tradition, and we always tried to pray big prayers so that we could get miraculous answers. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if those are the only prayers that we pray, uh, we're kind of missing the point about who God is and how God operates. And I remember one particular small group session, there was a a guy by the name of Matt. Matt was pretty shy. He hadn't spoken a lot over the course of the summer, so when he, or the semester, so when he said he had a prayer request, I listened. 
I go, Matt, what's your prayer request? And he's like, well, I lost my green folder for my computer science class. And I, I have to confess to you that in my heart, uh, it, it sank a little bit because I was like, this is the least dramatic prayer request I've ever had in my life. And there was a part of me who said, like, Matt, we're not going to pray about that. We're too busy praying for, for God to stop natural disasters and heal terminal diseases. Like, keep track of your own stuff, okay? Uh, this was back in the day where, like, we actually had papers, like, everything wasn't, like, digital, right? This was back in an analog era. And I remember we, we, prayed, we prayed for Matt's green folder. And sure enough, the next week, Matt came back with a smile that couldn't barely fit on his face. I'm like, Matt, what's going on? He's like, I found my folder. I'm like, well, where was it? He's like, it was where I left it. And I was like, I could have told you that, right? You know, I was like, we didn't need divine intervention for those circumstances to connect the dots. But I remember hearing God speak to me in a very subtle, quiet way, as if to say this, Steve, if I'm not the God of the green folder, then what exactly am I the God of? How many of us get stuck in our lives praying that God would provide big things in big ways in big moments and forget that God wants to provide small things in small ways, in small moments. That God isn't just a God of the big picture issues. God is the God of the, of the details. God is the God of the small things. He's the God of the green folder as much as he is the God who can and often does heal life-threatening diseases. If God leads, God provides. And he provides always. It's this God who goes before us. He leads us clearly and he, he provides abundantly and then he also transforms completely. The God of the, of the, the God of the cloud is the God who I believe cares more about who we are than he cares about where we go. So about a year ago, our oldest daughter, Grace, was uh, getting ready to make a college decision and there were three choices that were all kind of leading contenders. One was my alma mater, and one was a school that was close to where, where we live at currently. And then the other one was uh, an art school in downtown Detroit, and Grace was struggling. She was trying to say, like, hey, I, I want to make sure that I make the right answer. I want to make sure that I, don't, that I don't miss something that God might be leading me to do. And the, the advice that Kelly and I kept trying to come alongside her and say is, Grace, every single one of these schools could be a great fit for you. Just know this. Wherever you are, wherever you land, whatever you study, the goal is for you to look more like Jesus at the end of those four years than you did at the beginning. And that can happen in any one of these places. I think that sometimes when we try to discern the will of God, we get so caught up, so fixated on what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to go that we forget that the bigger question is that God's call for every single one of us is who we're supposed to be. People of kindness, people of grace, people of gentleness, people of self-control. About 10 years ago, I finished my kind of terminal degree. I was getting my doctorate. I was super excited because I was like, this is, this is it. This is going to be the pinnacle of my academic achievements. This is going to, like, doors are going to fling open for me to do things that I wasn't able to do without this piece of paper. And when I graduated, my oldest, who was eight at that time, she drew me a card. And the graduation card, this beautiful handmade graduation card that gave me, she goes, Dad, now that you're graduating from school, you can look less like this. And she drew a picture of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Like sad, despondent, like nobody wants to be around Eeyore. And she goes, you can look less like this and you can look more like this. And she drew a picture of Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. Like the guy whose boundless energy is always smiling and is excited about every opportunity. And I remember opening that card and going, oh no. Like I've, I'm crossing this major career finish line and my daughter thinks that I've been depressing for the last five years. 
And I realize that we can reach the, the pinnacle moments of career and everything that culture says equates with success. But if the person that we have become by the time we arrived is the person that the people that we love the most don't want to be around, what exactly have we won? Have you ever had a season like that in your life? We got all of the things, but when you looked in the mirror, you weren't entirely content with the person who had gotten all those things. So the God who, who leads us through seasons of uncertainty is a God who doesn't just want to make sure that we're taking the right steps and moving in the right direction. He cares about the kind of person that we're, we're becoming. If you look at the beginning of the book of Numbers, God commands Moses to count the fighting men, and the number that he comes up with is 603,550. And at the end of that journey, at the end of 40 years, he asks them to count them again, and the number is 601,730. It's 1,820 people less. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God and I was trying to build an army that was going to take over the land of the Canaanites, I would want every last body I could find. I would want a, I want a bigger number, not a smaller number. But here's what we discover when we read the book of Numbers. The people who ended that journey are a completely different people than the people who started the journey. The grumblers at the beginning of the story are not the fighters at the end of the story. God used those 40 years to literally weed people out who weren't prepared to do the kind of things that God wanted them to do and to refine and to reshape and to stretch and to break and to mold the people who are ultimately going to cross the Jordan River and head into the promised land. In our seasons of uncertainty, it's so good to be reminded that God is leading us clearly, that God is providing abundantly, that God is transforming us completely along the way. Now, Bob read a verse that said that at the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages of their journey. And when we read the account of that journey, we hear this phrase 41 times in that chapter. They left location A and they camped in location B. They left B and camped in C. They left C and camped in D. 41 times we hear that phrase. On average, they stayed just under one year at each stop, though some stays were less than 24 hours. So my question is, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us to be people who are fully surrendered and fully dependent on a God who doesn't just offer to lead us, but a God who is actually leading us? I've got three suggestions for us this morning, and the first one is this, that if we want to be people who follow a God of cloud and fire, we should be people who loosen our grip on our plans. People who loosen our grip on our plans. Woody Allen, the American filmmaker, once said this. He goes, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Has anybody ever, like, tried to dictate terms toward, to God? Like, hey, Lord, just so you know, here's my five-year plan, here's my 10-year plan, here's my 15-year plan. I've written it in ink. If you could not touch it, that would be great. But what does Scripture tell us in the book of James? James chapter 4 says this, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What's your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Like I said, I grew up Pentecostal, and if you're not Pentecostal, you, you might not know that one of the key things of the charismatic tradition is that people in my church believe that Jesus could return at any time. 
And they took this so seriously that sometimes you would, you'd be meeting out in the lobby for coffee and tea after the service and you'd ask so-and-so, like, hey, can, can you have coffee on Wednesday? And elderly Sister Susan would say this. She says, I would be happy to be there should Jesus tarry. If Jesus doesn't show up in the next 72 hours, I'll be there. But I'm going to hold all of my plans super loosely because he could come at any instant. And I love the fact that they opened their eyes every morning with a rich sense of adventure. Saying that I, I don't know if today is going to be the day that God calls me home. I don't know if today is going to be the day that Jesus returns to redeem everything that is broken about this earth. But I'm going to live my life with open hands saying, God, whatever it is that you have for me in this moment, whatever it is that you're going to do in me or through me or above me or beyond me, I'm ready. I'm ready for what you want to do. In my research, I had an opportunity to visit the Middle East more than a couple of times. And in the Muslim tradition, there's a phrase called inshallah, which literally translated means, should God will it. And the Muslim community has a very deep appreciation for God's sense of sovereignty. And they'll say the same thing that my Pentecostal friends back when I was growing up, they would say, this, yes, I'll be there for this meeting, or yes, I'll go to this wedding, or yes, I'll make this business appointment, inshallah, should God will it. I think that many of us have grown up in an environment like this great, good American backstory where we pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and we, we colonize wastelands and, and we turn nothing into something and, and we can create our own empires on a wish and a dream and a shoestring and sometimes we forget that God's provision and God's grace and God's kindness is at work in ways that we cannot see along the way. And if I'm not careful, I will go through my life white-knuckling my plans rather than holding them with open hands saying, God, if you have something other than what I have scheduled for this day or this season, will you show me? Because if you're leading me into a moment where I can serve or grow or give, I don't want to miss it. So if we want to be people who are fully devoted to the God of cloud and fire, we need to learn to loosen our grip on our plans. The second suggestion is this, is that we need to be people who lean in and be fully present. Who lean in and be fully present. Years ago, I was offered a transitional role at a nonprofit. They said, we're not sure if we need your role. You don't know a whole lot about us. Why don't you just come for a 12-month period, and then we can figure out what things will look like after that. I don't know if you've ever been in a season like this, but it's kind of weird because you don't know if you should be like actively applying for other jobs or if you should be trying to keep the job that you're in. And, and I never decorated my office a single day in that first year. I was looking past the season that I was in rather than living into it. And people are like, your office looks like a prison cell. And I would tell them, I'm a minimalist. But what I really meant was, I don't know if I'm going to be here, so I'm not going to commit to being here. The American missionary Jim Elliott once said, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation that you believe to be the will of God. Last year, I read a book by a woman by the name of Jennifer Tucker. It's a, it's a phenomenal book, especially if there's somebody in your family who struggles with anxiety. It's called Breath as Prayer. Breath as Prayer. Calm your anxiety, focus your mind, and renew your soul. She talks about how one of her teenage daughters was hospitalized for a mental health crisis, and she said, I never felt more out of control. She said, so as I was pacing the halls of that ward in that particular hospital, I was practicing a new, a new tool that I had used for prayer, which is breath prayer. You, you breathe in and you pray a phrase, and then you breathe out and you pray a phrase. And one of, the, one of the phrases that she taught me was this, is based on Psalm 23 that says, the Lord is my shepherd, breathe in. 
I lack nothing. Breathe out. The Lord is my shepherd. Breathe in. I lack nothing. Breathe out. There's another one that says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And breath prayer allows us to slow down our racing minds, to center our focus on the God who sustains us and loves us, and not to wish past the moment that we're in, but to choose to be present in it. Another friend taught me about the Jesus prayer, which is modeled after a prayer that we find in the book of Luke, where somebody who's crying out to Jesus for help, oh, you just, just said this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And sometimes when I don't know what to pray and I'm journaling in the morning, I'll just pray that one. Jesus, son of David, have, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my family. Be merciful to my kids. Be merciful to my career and the people that I oversee. Have mercy. Have mercy. When I lean in and I'm fully present, I'm reminded that if God has me here in this moment, it's because God has a gift for me to receive if only I have eyes, heart, and hands to receive it. So we're gonna follow the God of cloud and fire. We need to loosen our grip on our plans. We need to lean in and be fully present in this moment. And then finally, we need to learn to say, Lord, I am ready to go and I'm willing to stay. I'm ready to go and I'm willing to stay. There are seasons in our lives where we get comfortable, yes? I moved to the Detroit area right after I graduated from college in 1995 and was there for 22 years. But in the summer of 2016, I could sense that the cloud of God's leading was moving. It was unexpected. It was unnerving. It was unwelcome. Kelly and I met there. All four of our kids were born there. We just bought our dream house that we were convinced that we would die or retire in. All of our kids were in a public school that was one of the top-ranked schools in the state. Our jobs were meaningful. We appreciated our colleagues. We, we were dialed in for the long run. Our, our plan was another three decades in that zip code at those geographic coordinates. The cloud moved. And I'm not going to lie to you. There are parts of it that are very hard. There are parts of it that seven years, six years later are still really hard. But God was doing something in us and through us as a result of that move. God was shaping us into people who looked more like him than we might have turned out to be had we stayed in the system in which we were most comfortable. Now, in February of 2020, I started a job in West Michigan as the leadership trainer for the HR department for an ice cream factory. And I just want to be clear about this. If you ever have a chance to have a job that smells like chocolate every single day you walk into your office, you should take that job. I remember sometimes Kelly would call me. She's like, so what'd you do today? I was like, well, I had a meeting at nine. She's like, what'd you do at your meeting at nine? I was like, well, I, I, I was required to attend an ice cream tasting. She's like, didn't you do that yesterday? I said, yes, we make new ice cream every day. And uh, even though I'm not in the quality department, I feel like I'm called to help them out. And I don't know how many of you remember what happened the very next month, March of 2020. That the wheels came off the world, yes. And I like to joke that when people were homebound in quarantine, there were two things that they bought a lot of. They bought a lot of alcohol and they bought a lot of ice cream. And we were breaking sales records left and right. 
Like our month over month, we were sell, the, our sales team was saying, we've sold 500,000 more units year over year than, than th- this month. Like it was just, we're blowing fuses in our brains. Everybody was working really hard. Well, when your team is maxed out making ice cream, how much time do they have to go to a workshop to learn about being a better leader? Well, none. So even though I might have been the right fit for that job, that moment in the organization's history didn't warrant that job existing at all. So seven months into that, I got released from that role. Now, some of you remember, it was hard to be alive during COVID. When you're unemployed during COVID, that is nerve-rattling on a different level, especially when you've got four minor children at home. And I said, God, I did not ask for this. I don't want to be here. And those months of trying to figure out where we would land or how things would transpire were truly terrifying. And I, I do believe that if God hadn't closed that door, I would probably still be there. There are other seasons where I have been truly uncomfortable. I had a run where I worked for a leader that was not an emotionally intelligent person. And I felt trapped and I felt suffocated. And every single day I pulled into the parking lot, I said, I'm done here, Lord, and I'm ready to move. Like I, I, would, I would look at LinkedIn about every five seconds to see if anybody else wanted me to come and work for them. But sometimes there is a gift in the season that we're in, even if we don't want to be there, that God wants to give. Not too long ago, I was feeling restless again in my sense of calling. I, I, and I was, like a, I was like a dog in a field full of squirrels. Every single time I found out about another opportunity, I'm like, well, maybe it's that one, and maybe it's that one, and maybe it's that one. And I was, wasn't being present. And as I was going through my morning reading of Scripture, I came across this verse in Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, where God says to Isaac, stay in this land for a while. Because his intention was to go to Egypt. God said, stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Is it possible that some of us are in seasons that we don't want to be in? We're in places geographically, financially, relationally, physically that we did not choose. And that if it was up to us, we would fast forward to the other side of this moment towards what's next. Is it possible that God has us here for a reason? In fact, one of my mentors, Tim Dearborn, once said this. He said, when he was in a season of transition, he he felt like God said to him, Tim, I have something for you, but you're not ready for it yet, and it's not ready for you. Have you ever had something that didn't materialize in the five minutes the way that you wanted it to? But in eight months, something happened that made it all make sense in hindsight? Like, as, as you look back for your life, did you realize that there were some dreams that weren't fulfilled in your 20s, and you thank God that those dreams were never fulfilled? There were some, some relationships that didn't pan out that you look on the other side and you're like, oh, the Lord, wasn't, the Lord wasn't cursing me. The Lord was protecting me from something that I thought that I wanted, but at the end of the day, wasn't good for me or wasn't good for that person or wasn't good for the world. So I'm learning that if I want to stay in a place, it's because I'm comfortable. And if I want to leave a place, it's because I'm uncomfortable. At the end of the day, what I'm really only ever trying to solve for in my life is comfort. Have you been there? And how many of you have found out that God isn't really committed to solving for our comfort? Not because he wants to hurt us, but because he wants to stretch us. And while I'm fixated on comfort, God is fixated on character. 
God is trying to solve for values that I am not currently committed to or currently embodying. And there are some of us who feel stuck. We resonate at the deepest possible level with what the psalmist cries out in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then eventually at the end of the psalm, the writer turns a corner and says, God, even though things aren't working out the way that I want it to, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Sing the Lord's praise because he's been good to me. Oftentimes when we're in the moment that we're in, we don't have perspective that we wish that we had. But a friend of mine was teaching me about prayer and he said, Steve, when you listen to God, just ask God this question. Not always, God, what do you want me to do? But ask him this, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? And invariably when I pray that prayer, I feel like God tells me, Steve, I can see the end of this, I can't, this chapter in your life and I can see the end of the story and it's good. Just hang on. Remember when I told you that I was unemployed for six months in 2020, headed into the spring of 2021? God was super gracious because I said, hey, Lord, I, I love to speak. Churches are closed. I don't feel like I have any other marketable skills. Will you, will you open doors for me to serve some church somewhere? And sure enough, the head of our denomination called and said, Steve, there's a church in northwestern Wisconsin that had an abrupt pastoral change. Can you pinch it for a couple months? Well, a couple months turned into 10 months. And every other weekend, I was flying from Grand Rapids to Minneapolis-St. Paul and then driving another two and a half hours to northwestern Wisconsin. And I made that trip a bunch of times and flew over Lake Michigan from the east coast of Lake Michigan to the west coast of Lake Michigan bunches of times. And I, when I had the window seat, I would always look out and just try to appreciate the majesty of the lake. And this happened to me one time, one time. On a perfectly clear summer day, I looked out the window and sure enough, I could see both shores of the lake. I could see the Michigan side and I could see the Wisconsin side. And I felt like God was saying, Steve, this is the view that I have all the time. This is the view that I have all the time. A couple days ago, it felt like you could see all the way across the bay. And yesterday, you could barely see your hand in front of your face. Did, did the size of the bay change? Well, no. But did our ability to gauge distance and perspective in the middle of the haze shift? Yes. That's why God has offered to be a God that is clearly leading us one step at a time because he sees the whole map. He sees the whole arc of the story and is asking us to trust him. One choice, one minute, one relationship at a time. And here's the comfort that we have in our seasons of waiting. There is a God who is no stranger to waiting. At the age of 12, Jesus had all of the information that he needed to start his public ministry. But he waited another 18 years before he started to share the good news. On Mount Carmel, the prophet Elijah prayed to God for fire and God answered immediately. But on the Mount of Olives, Jesus prayed for hours and never got the answer he was looking for. When King Herod killed John the Baptist, his execution was quick. But when Jesus suffered on the cross, he waited for six hours 
before he passed. And when Jesus raised the synagogue ruler's daughter from the dead, he did it instantly. But when Jesus was put in the grave, he waited in the tomb for three days before he came to life. What does God wait for? I think he waits for us. I think sometimes he waits for us to say, will, will you take a step towards me? I've engineered all of the circumstances of your life to pull you into me, to pull you into relationship with me, to pull you into a restoring and a saving, a redeeming relationship with me. Will you, will you take a step to me? At the end of John's gospel, we have this great encounter of Jesus and Peter. And Peter is, if you don't know the whole story, uh, Peter was a close friend of Jesus. He betrayed him three times. He was indirectly responsible for his, uh, his being alone at his deepest time of desperation. And when Jesus has a restoring conversation with Peter at this beach on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, the very place where they likely first met, he says, hey, Peter, will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my sheep? Peter says, yes, yes, yes. And then he says this. He goes, Peter, a day is going to come in your life where a hand is going to lead you where you don't want to go. And what I love about Peter is his candor because he sees John on the other side of the beach and he says the thing that I say every day, which is, hey, what about John? Will John have to do hard things too? <laughs> and, and, and I love it. Jesus is like, hey, Peter, just put your blinders on. And um, follow me. Somebody once told me, like I was never really good at Greek, but somebody told me in the Greek, the word order where Jesus says, Peter, you follow me, it actually goes in this order. You, me, follow. You, me, follow. Hey, Peter, this isn't about you and me and John. This is about you and me. Will you take the next step? And some people say that Peter was so devoted to the Lord that when a hand led him to the point where he didn't want to go, which is his own martyrdom, his own execution for his faith, and Peter was so loyal to Jesus, he says, I don't deserve to be crucified in the same manner of my Lord. And church history said that he was actually crucified upside down. Because he, he, he didn't deserve what Jesus wanted for him. So Peter was able to go to the end of his life with his eyes wide open and his shoulders back and his heart full saying, Lord, because you're with me and because you're leading me, I don't have to be afraid of anything. What you have for me is good. What you have for me is good. When Jesus rose from the dead, it said angels met friends of his in the garden and they said, go back and tell Jesus' friends that he's risen from the dead and then tell him this. We find this in Mark chapter 16, verse seven. He says, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as you told him. Just want to let you know this. Wherever it is that God is leading you, know this, the risen Jesus is already there. There's some of us who were headed into some hard conversations this week. Know this. Eugene Peterson talked about this in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plan. He says, whatever conversation you go into, Jesus is waiting for you in that conversation. Whatever temptation that you walk into, Jesus is waiting with you in that room in that moment. Whatever surgery it is that you're facing, Jesus is already in the room. Christ is present at every juncture of trepidation and transition. And we can know this, that the God who went before the Israelites so many thousands of years ago goes before us now because he loves us and he wants to remind us that even if we're at a spot that we don't like and wouldn't choose, 
He is with us in that spot and desires to bless us in it as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you want more for us, more for our lives, more for our resources, more for our relationships than we even could imagine for ourselves. And I pray that you would give us the grace and the wisdom and the humility to say, Lord, even if stepping in that direction isn't something that I would choose on my own, because you are leading, I will follow. And God, if you want me in this season for a day, I'll be here for a day. And if you want me in here for a decade, I'll, I'll be here for a decade. But wherever it is that you have me, I want to hold those plans loosely. And wherever it is that you have me, I want to be completely dialed in to, to how you're moving in that moment. God, make me the kind of person who's ready to go if you say go and willing to stay if you say stay. God, sometimes you're going to invite us to a life of mobility and sometimes you're going to invite us to a life of stability. Either way, give us the grace to trust you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope and trust and pray that as you listen to what Steve shares about red lights and green lights and how we need to trust in the Lord and know he's always with us and doesn't hide from us, that you'll be reminded he is not hiding from you. Wherever in your life you're needing guidance, you're needing help, seek him, turn to him while he is available to be found. And that means as long as we're on this earth, we can reach out and the Lord God who created us will reach down to us. And so I pray that you will connect with God through what we're sharing here. Thank you again for being a part of the Home Run Club. And until next month, we'll see you soon.